0: We find uh, in Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven. Who's ever heard me speak on this before? No one. Awesome. Brand new. <sighs> I did. Um, I think it was Nicole who said to me that apparently it takes twenty-two times of hearing something before it kind of people grasp the concept and and it sinks in. So, um, this will be a five-week series, uh, and we're just going to do it twenty-two times in a row. <laughs> um, so, in about three and a half years or so, uh, we'll get it. So, it'll be good. Um, I don't mind though, because I like um, preaching on the same stuff, because that's kind of what I've got. And so, um, if if yeah, you want to understand it, it, just gives me more time to, to more opportunities to preach on it. Uh, so Ephesians four uh, eleven through to sixteen, essentially it, it says uh, you know that Jesus gave the apostles. Prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, for the equipping of the body, you know, for the building up of the saints, uh, for for bringing people into maturity, into unity, into oneness, and ultimately into the fullness of Christ. Is where that little passage ends. So it is uh, Jesus, as the One, gave five expressions of Himself to the earth, and that exists then in people that He raises up and gifts and calls in that particular way but he gave these five gifts in order to um, realign the people of God into the nature of Christ so again even that word to equip the saints equip means is is a is a word for uh, like resetting bones it's like a chiropractic adjustment so it's not just giving away information it's actually about bringing things into right order so Jesus gives that the five kind of fold ministry giftings to the body of Christ in order to bring them into alignment, bring them into unity. And ultimately, the end game of the five is to bring everyone into oneness with Jesus, to come into unity together, and then to be found in the fullness of Christ. So five expressions, five dynamics of Jesus are gifted to the church. But the, r- the purpose of is not to then have five different giftings in the church that all kind of do their own thing, but it's that all would come into oneness, that all would start to function in those ways. So when we talk about a fivefold family, it's looking at the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, the shepherding, and the teaching. How do those five help to shape the whole family so they were all operating in the apostolic DNA. They were all operating prophetically. They were all operating evangelistically. Okay, and I know you've probably heard me say this a million times, but I'm going to say it again because uh, it could be a million and one times. Um, you know, that's that's kind of what we're we're about. And so, in the midst of that. You might find yourself more apostolically wide or more prophetically wide or more teaching wide or more shepherding wide uh, And that's good as well, and we affirm that, and we want to, to bless that and encourage you in that. But ultimately, if you're a prophet that doesn't look like Jesus, then you're not a prophet. If you're an apostle that doesn't look like Jesus, you're not an apostle. If you're an evangelist that doesn't look like Jesus, then you're not an evangelist. And this is what we see sometimes in the churches where people, they get onto their gifting and they run in their gifting, but they're not actually walking in the character of Christ because they've misunderstood that the, that the goal of even the fivefold ministry is to equip them as how to walk in their gifting. But it's not the intent, it's to equip you to how to walk in the name of Jesus and the nature of Christ. So we want to be, even as there is individual expressions of those dynamics. So you might find yourself like, I just love talking to people who don't know Jesus. I love praying for them. I love reaching out. And it's like, awesome. And then the goal of the community and the goal of the Firefold Ministry is to help you to do that like Jesus. Which means you're going to do it prophetically and you're going to do it with a teaching. You know, it's all kind of wide into the same thing. So the purpose of the five is to bring everyone into oneness with the one. It's the formation of Christ-likeness. It's God's desire for you to be like Him, which is kind of crazy. So in a family dynamic, families grow by reproduction, not replication. Okay? I'm not going to get into the details of this, but we understand that, that you know, there's, uh, you know, the seed is planted, <laughs> Uh, that the baby grows, um, but it's the DNA of the parents formed into the child that essentially shapes what that child looks like, how they, you know, um, are formed in their physical. Um, it doesn't necessarily always determine how they behave, as as you know, I've we've got three kids and they're three different kids, weirdly, and we've parented them the same, and yet they just have within them. They're beautiful uh dynamic gift sets it's the most honoring way I can think of of explaining <laughs> um, but it's true no i love i I'm okay with my kids being being who they are um not without discipline and not without you know order and teaching and training but um but you know what you can't control the child yeah it took took us Two children before we figure that out. You know, it's like, you you try, but um, it doesn't work. Uh, But so families grow by reproduction, not replication. So you don't just kind of take and form it. And it's the same way then as a spiritual family. A spiritual family is designed to grow by reproduction. It's supposed to be like the DNA of the kingdom of God being formed into a community. So then what grows and what is reproduced out of that carries on in the same likeness. So again, if you take a child and you test their DNA, you'll find that DNA linked to the parent. Now, is it because the parent told them what to do or made them behave in a particular way or told me you can't do this and can't do this? That's their behavior, and you might see in their behavior a reflection of the parents. But ultimately, at a at a uh, microscopic level, deep, what's smaller than microscopic? Molecular, that's the word I was looking for at a molecular level molecular at a molecular level a child is like their parent so deep hard wide into their nature there are elements of the parent flowing through and so as we take that and bring that into this uh, the kind of family of God the spiritual dynamic we want to be a community that reproduces by DNA not because you're told what to do and how to do it now instruction is good instruction is helpful we need people who have gone before us to say, hey, you know what? That's a really dumb idea. I wouldn't recommend doing it. You're free to do it. but I'm just letting you know, here's probably how it's going to turn out for you. Okay, so instruction is good. Uh, but ultimately, you want that people capture the heart of a place. They capture the heart of a, of a, of a group of people. And you're like, I, I capture the heart. And that's, I want to live after the heart. In the same way that when we come and encounter the Father, when we, when we encounter God, we want to be a people that are transformed in the heart so that we follow naturally out of the overflow of our heart. Not out of like fear of punishment or some other motivation that says, I've just got to learn to do all of the things to avoid punishment from God. Anyone ever felt like they've lived their Christian walk in that kind of way? Yeah, learn the rules so you don't get in trouble and you'll, you'll just make it through. That's not the way of the kingdom. Now, again, there are, there are rules in the kingdom. There are spiritual laws that govern the way that things work. And if you violate a spiritual law, there is a consequence of that. But ultimately, even as Jesus said, you know, those who love me will obey my commands. So love is always the source. The DNA produces in the same likeness. So when the five aspects of Christ are formed into the DNA of a church, then it continues to produce generations of people that reflect the nature of God. And this is really important as well, that we don't get caught up following personality. Because personality, you know, leaders of churches will disappear. They will die. <laughs> but what is formed into the DNA of a culture, that is the thing that will reproduce for generations and generations. And it's so important that we have all five in operation to actively reflect the nature of Christ in the earth. So again, we don't want to become like a heavily apostolic people and then forget the prophetic or heavily evangelistic and forget the shepherding, the pastoral side of things. It's important to have all five. So if Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's nature and I'm called to be like Jesus, then what does this say about me? What does it say about you if, if Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's nature and you've been called to be like Jesus, what does that say about you? It says that you're, you're moving towards being like God. Does that make anyone uncomfortable? I'm becoming like God. The words came out of my mouth. No lightning bolts, so I can't be too heretical. But, but that's, I mean, when you dig into the scriptures, it becomes uh, abundantly apparent. Uh, if you want to read a really good kind of theological foundation for that, Phil Mason, uh, his latest book, um, Supernatural Transformation and the, the Power of God or something like that. It's on, I think there's a couple left on there, but it goes into this uh, it's a concept called theosis. And, but this, it's all throughout the scriptures. All the early church fathers knew it and understood it, but that God was forming people. That's what a Christian is, is a little Christ. So again, it's, it's not that then we're trying to be God from an unhealthy place. So, oh, you think you're like God, hey? It's like, no, it's not putting myself in a pedestal or trying to be, hey, I'm, I'm like God in an, in an unhealthy way because as soon as you do that, then you're not like God. Uh-huh. So it kind of cancels itself out. Um, so to, to have that motivation from an unhealthy place immediately cancels out even the pursuit of what you're doing. We would cease to be like Him if that's the case. But that is the reality of what God is. He's, he's forming us to be like His Son. And His Son is exactly like Him. So that's what we're moving towards, being like Jesus, that someone would look at you and they would see Jesus. I'm not talking just prophetically, but they'd literally see in the way that you love, in the way that you behave, in the way that you act, you would reflect the very nature of Jesus. And that's why it's important that we focus on becoming like Jesus rather than just doing what Jesus did. It is an important principle that we, you know, what would Jesus do? That concept. And again, as I've said before, Jesus never asked himself, what would I do? Like he just did, because he was. And in the same way that as we become, then we'll naturally do the things that Jesus did. You know, he only did what he saw the Father doing. Again, a great principle of obedience, that we see what the Father is doing, because he initiates, and, we, and if we have our eyes attuned to what the Father's doing, then we see what he's doing, and we follow on behind, Okay. But there's also the scripture that says that Jesus was the exact imprint of the Father's nature. That's Hebrews one three. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Doing will naturally flow out of being. But if we focus simply on the doing and we forget the being, then we'll end up kind of doing some of the things that Jesus did, but we won't have the same impact and it won't be in his name because it won't be a reflection of his nature. But if you become like Jesus, you're going to do what he did because you'll be like him. Like what other choice will you have? So why would we want to be like God? Well, because we love him and we worship him. And you become that which you worship. You become that which you behold. It's a natural thing. That's why worship, like corporate worship, and not just the singing part, but that when we come into worship, we're not just singing songs, but we're putting all of our attention and our focus and our adoration onto God. Because in so doing, we're then, that's a natural part that we're formed into His likeness, even through that process. We see Him more as He is. You know, we sing this song and we really dwell on, you know, that you are good. Well, why? Because we don't know that he's good. If we knew everything, then we wouldn't need to sing about it. But like we're singing and we're telling ourselves and we're prophesying over the person next to us and we're, we're declaring over the room and over the region that God is good. Because people don't know that God is good. Even Christians don't know in their heart. They can say, well, I know with my head, yes, because the Bible says he's good. But in my heart, do I know his goodness? Because it has to be formed in us. But as soon as, you know, Jesus knew the goodness of the Father because it was in Him. And that's our journey as the people of God. So God's desire is to build a family. And He has a design for what it should look like. But again, it's not a design of external parameters forcing you into behavioral modification. It's a heart, it's a DNA, it's a set of values that leads you into heart transformation, that your heart is transformed into the likeness of Jesus. You know, I, I had, as I said before, I had some prayer ministry on Friday morning and like a three-hour prayer ministry session, and, uh, and it was fantastic and amazing. But, you know, for me, it wasn't because um, there was a whole lot of bad fruit necessarily in my life, but it was because there wasn't a whole lot of good fruit that there could be in my life. So I've had times where it's like, man, there's some bad fruit. I need to go and deal with these bad roots, you know. But, but in this instance, it was more to do with, the, you know what, there's good fruit that I know I'm not tasting in my life. There's good fruit that I've heard of and I've seen in others, and I was like, I want that fruit in my life. So we pursue, this is the pursuit of righteousness, the going after the good things of God, the going after our inheritance. It's like, if, that's, if I can access that some way, then I want it in my life. If there's more of God, that's my inheritance. You deserve, no, you don't deserve an inheritance, but it's yours. <laughs> like what's the point of an inheritance if it's not received and utilized? It's a waste. So the father is built up and he wants to release and we're like, oh no, no, I, like I don't deserve that. Correct. That's why it's an inheritance. No one deserves an inheritance. It's what, it's what, it's like the, the, the parents, they deserve to give it away because they've been blessed by it, and they want to bless the generations after them. In the same way the Father, He has it. It's like, it's yours. I know you didn't earn it. You're not worthy to receive it, but that's got nothing to do with you, because it's all about me giving it away. So let me bless you with it. And I'm like, man, I want my inheritance. Not before time, not in the way that the prodigal son would then go and squander it, but I'm like, but God, it's it's it's. you've given it to me. You've chosen to give it to me, so I want to walk in it. But if I know this fruit, There could be greater freedom in my life. I'm going to go after it. And he revealed stuff. And it's good. Amen. So the family of God should look like God. And it's interesting that when God chose to reconcile the world to himself, he chose to build a family. And he initiated this family by sending a son. Romans 8.29, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. It's pretty clear in the Scriptures, God's intent, and that He might be the firstborn. That means that others will be born after Him that would then follow on in that same likeness, in that same lineage. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Here's you know, the scripture that talks about Jesus being the cornerstone, that building, that reference point that everything gets built from you know what God when he's like I'm going to reconcile the world to to myself because they're in captivity to the enemy well he could send an army but instead he sent a family I know we probably take that for granted but that's that's really significant you don't generally go I'm going to conquer a land what am I going to do I'm going to send a family in and it's going to build family It's revolutionary, but that's what God decided to do. That's how he decided to do it. And he decided to do it even before Jesus came. But what we experience is the new covenant kingdom family that, that Jesus established. God could have built an army to transform the world, but instead he chose to build a family. So the reflection of the heart of God is seen in the manifestation of the family of God. A family should look like their father in some way. Uh, John 17, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus comes, He initiates, He is the firstborn of this new family that has been developed on the earth. And then the whole uh, way that the kingdom of God is going to play out in the world is through family, through this deep oneness that God has established by sending His Spirit, that your Spirit and Holy Spirit have come into oneness. He says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So as God forms that family, as He brings us into deep oneness and unity through the fivefold ministry, then the reflection to the earth becomes one of like they see God through the church. Now if you were to uh, if you were to ask a lot of people, or even just kind of take stock in your mind as to whether the world today in this generation looks at the church and says, "I want some of that." The Western church in general is on decline in, in most Western kind of regions. Obviously, in Eastern countries, it's, you know, this crazy supernatural stuff going on. But essentially, the reflection of the Father, and yet, I mean, Jesus is the desire of the nations. It's like when you see him, I still remember a time in, uh, sitting in the backyard of a house, and it was a friend of someone that um, me and another person were ministering to, and, and we just were talking to her, and just ministering, just sharing the heart of the Father with her. And just to saying, this is what God's like, and this is what He we, you know, would love to do in your life. And she's just going, man, this is amazing. I've never heard this stuff before. She's like, you know what you should do? You should take all the stuff that you've just said, write it down like on a pamphlet, and put it in every letterbox in Quinana. And, uh, and man, people were like, they need, like it's almost like people need to know that God is this good. Because that's not people's experience. So the church is all about how you're bad, not how God is good. And you look at Jesus. Now, he was very clear, but he was, Jesus was most uh, violent against the religious order of his day. And they were the ones entrusted with the good news of the kingdom, essentially. And they missed it. And they made it about rules and regulations. So Jesus had to come and, and, uh, and go nuts. On them. Uh, Colossians one eighteen to twenty in for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So good. So what is the role, then, if we take this, this fivefold family, then we, we're, I'm talking this morning about the apostolic and how that helps to inform uh, you know, and, and spread throughout the body uh, one of these attributes of Jesus. So what are some of the things that an apostolic family does? What does it look like? Well, an apostolic family builds. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.10, so Paul was an apostle. So in, even in his teaching, some of the things that he focused and prioritized were apostolic. But he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So he talks to himself like a skilled master builder. So you imagine then as this, this DNA, this apostolic DNA is weaved through a community. We understand that we're a building people. That we need to think about what we do with our lives, how we spend our time, how we exert our energy, because everything that we're doing, we're building towards something. We're establishing. You know, when you come into salvation, maybe you came not out of of generations of Christianity. So it means then whatever you build in your life will shape the generations going forward. There's a responsibility that comes along with that. And that's on every one of us because we're all an apostolic people. We all carry that apostolic DNA as a kingdom family. 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul says, uh, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So not just that an apostolic family builds, but an apostolic family builds family. So we understand the importance of that family dynamic, that that connection, that, that flow throughout a community, that we're not just a bunch of individuals that happen to come along to the same place at the same time on the same day each week, and partake of our individualistic kind of ways, and then go home to our own life. This, again, I I, I have for many years, and I I think I'm going to need to start harping on about it again. Um, But this thing of our language of calling a place or a time church. Because it's just not, (laughs) scripturally it's just not like it's it's this is just a, a language that we've utilized to call something but the problem is when we do that it becomes segmented and I know that we can do this in our western ways of thinking that church becomes an event or a place and then it's like but then the rest of my life is like there's me and I go to church it's, it's and, and again I know we all say oh but we are the church but literally you are the church so if you are the church stop calling this church or stop calling this building the church because it's just not so it makes no sense. And we confuse people, people that then become Christians. And we go and we call this, oh, I'm going to church on Sunday or see you at church on Sunday. And it's like, n- no, it's not. We call it, I mean, uh, even obviously every I call it a gathering because it's a gathering of this local church community, this, this regional ecclesia that God has brought together. But he's knit us together as family, as the church, relationally. That's how we're connected. And if we're not connected relationally, then we're not even a reflection of the church. You know, Paul's language, and I'm not saying that you have to be, oh, who's my spiritual father? And who's, you know, Like when we get all like overbearing in that kind of way and we give people titles and, and all of this sort of stuff and we, we elevate people to this place and, and put them on a the pedestal and it's like this the children's job to serve the, the spiritual father and all of that sort of stuff. It's, it's the role of a father to serve the children. You've probably heard me say that as well, but uh, that's how, in, at least in my family, that's how it works. I'm the head, which means even Brett had a word for me this morning. It's like, yeah, your head. So you've got the hard head with a pointy thing that smashes through stuff. Um, yeah, there we go. That's, that's it. I'm a spiritual unicorn. Yeah, wow. You're all imagining me with a unicorn. That's, that's it. I'm sure there's like a Snapchat filter or something that we can <laughs> overlay uh, onto that. Um, you know, so if we're not relationally connected, then we're not actually reflecting the nature of God. Because clearly for, for Paul, it's like, this is this more of this family dynamic. And it's like, when we talk about the family nature of, of the church, um, you might be thinking like, well, how far should we take this kind of metaphor, this, this paradigm of thinking? And I don't know how far we should take it, but I know that we should take it further than we, what we have today. Because again, even when, we've used, when that language has been used, it's kind of been distorted, like in this kind of hierarchical, you know, overbearing sense. And Paul even talks about that. He warns the church that this is what fathers should behave like. This is what spiritual parents should behave like. Not being overbearing, not overlording, and not being this kind of this power thing. It's a servant role. And you're, and you're raising up servants. So again, the role of a spiritual parent is to raise spiritual parents. The role of a natural parent is not to raise children. If you're a parent, your job isn't to raise children. We've had generations of that, which is why we have adults who behave like children. That's, that's the natural fruit of a fatherless generation that we live in, is adults who behave like children. Whereas if we took that perspective, actually, no, no my job is to raise parents. My job is to raise them and and draw them into that place of maturity. You know, in cultures gone before, and probably still in some Eastern cultures, when a child turns like 12, I mean Jewish culture, that's when they stepped into adulthood. At 12 years of age. We put 18, you know, some places 21. It's like, you know, they, they started to understand, this is when I become a man, this is when I start on my maturation process into adulthood. There you go, freebie. So, an apostolic family builds. An apostolic family lives sent. So, the word apostolos means sent ones. This is where we get the word apostle from. This is where we get the word missional from. You know, if we're a missional church, it means we're an apostolic church. We're an apostolic people. We're people that live as sent ones, which means there's movement inherent in the apostolic DNA, it's not static. It's not still, it's not waiting just to find, oh, where's the destination where we can stop? So it's like, no, no, we're constantly on the move because God is constantly on the move. And I'm not saying always geographically, but it's like God is moving. He's growing. He's doing something. You know, it's like every Sunday when I come along, I never get bored of coming and gathering together on a Sunday because I know God's going to do something. And he's going to do something new and he's going to do something different and he's going to take us to a new place. And we won't always recognize it on the time, but he's doing it. When we have a conference and it's like, you know, with Jennifer Evas coming over, it's like we knew something was going to shift, something was going to happen. And there's, because prophetically we've seen in the past, we just know that's what God does. That's why I don't like, I don't like missing Sundays. Because I'm like, God's going to do something and I'm going to miss out seeing what he's doing. So an apostolic family lives sent. They go where the Father leads. And we also understand as an apostolic family that heaven is our home. That ultimately, this is not our home. Earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. And we're moving towards that place of our eternal reality with God. The ongoing, when Jesus returns or when we die. So ultimately, we then don't hold too tightly to what goes on in the world. Now, God will bless us with, a, with with home or with money, or like He gives, He provides for us, but they don't become the things that we hold dear. We value them and we steward them well, but ultimately everything is going to burn up <laughs> and you'll find yourself with nothing apart from whatever you've built in eternity, which is hopefully an intimate relationship with the Father. As the scriptures say, eternal life is knowing God. It's not Sunday school where there's like it's fairy floss and roller coasters and every delightful thing I can imagine. Unicorns. Um. so an apostolic family lives sent like we understand we just live in that tension of like God's doing something new and we're gonna go with him, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Who knows? You know, we're moving to a new property how exciting oh my gosh the blessing and the provision of god and what he's doing and oh my goodness how much more work how much more responsibility you know you get excited you know um there's you know words over us and what god is going to do and and birth through this community and you're like oh that's so exciting oh my gosh that's going to be a lot more work because when you step into a greater measure of authority there's just more work that comes along with responsibility but it's good and it's what god's doing we didn't have this on our agenda we weren't like okay then five years time we hope to move out of this place and move, like we literally had w- w- the day that i received the building contract to sign to renovate this place is like right around in that same week that we had the opening for this new property that we're moving to so we'd even made plans spent thousands of dollars getting drawings done up and everything to knock out this back wall and build more toilets because like man we're you know we're we're starting to grow and we need more toilets ladies it's like that's one of the benefits of being on a leadership team with three women is toilets (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about the toilet situation um (laughs) yeah um We have lots of toilets in the new place. That's all good. Um, Not yet. No. (laughs) We're less than what we started with. But um, yeah. Um, Where was I going? I was going somewhere with this, uh, this illustration. Didn't plan where God was taking us. But then we go, but we can't deny that that's where you're leading us, Lord. And so we'll go. And we'll count the cost of doing that. When we come together and we gather, and it's like there's always some sort of plan in place, but always with the freedom that Holy Spirit do whatever you want to do. You know, Rachel rocks up this morning. So well, we spoke on Friday. She's like, "I've got one song for Sunday. That's it." I've been praying. I've been asking. I got one song, and then by this morning she had two songs. And I'm like, "Yeah, we've got two And and so normally we we have kind of three. We plan for three. We, and when you think that's it, 45 minutes. To an hour of worship with three songs, God always does something in the midst of that. But there's, so there's a plan, and you steward the time, but with the absolute freedom. God, take us wherever you want to go. Sometimes it can get weird, <laughs> totally weird. But it's like the Holy Spirit, He just likes to do weird stuff. He's always done weird stuff. First time He rocks up on Earth, tongues of fire, tongues of prayer, like it's like you know wind shaking stuff, and people like looking like they're drunk, all this sort of things. He's just. He's just a different kind of dude. (laughs) But it's okay. He's unique, you know. It's like father and son we get, and then Holy Spirit, like, it's the crazy uncle, you know, of the kingdom, of the Trinity. You don't know how he's going to turn up. Like, is he drunk this week? Is he, you know, he's like... uh. So we live sin. An apostolic family governs There's a governmental authority that comes in the apostolic. But again, when we understand that we're a governing body, the ecclesia, that Jesus stole that word from Roman culture. But the ecclesia was a governmental body, a ruling authority in the region. So again, with lots of words. Apostle, Jesus took that from Roman culture because the people understood what it meant. But it means that for us, there's there's deep kind of meaning in that. Jesus knew as he took this word ecclesia and he applied it and say, This is my ecclesia. You know, Peter, you know, on you, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my governing body. And again, the disciples didn't understand what it looked like. They thought it was military kind of conquer that Jesus was going to bring, that his kingdom was going to come. They had in their minds, You're going to overthrow the government. So, no, I've got a different way. That's not how my kingdom's going to work. It's going to be a family, it's going to be secret and hidden. But as a, so, but Jesus understood what was going to come then through this governing body that we govern what happens spiritually in a region, which again means taking responsibility. It's like when we come and we worship together, and I love where God has has building us together as a community. It's like we start worshiping and everyone's like in. Makes such a difference. But that's what maturity looks like. So when we come and go, well, I don't really, I just don't really feel like worshiping today. I'm tired, or I've had a bad week, or we'll see how it goes. Oh, I don't like that song. I knew we sing that song last week, and it's like, you know. But you know, because because again, um, modern church has, has trained people to be entertained and consume and all that sort of stuff. And it's like that's not going to happen here. Um, I'm okay if you are entertained, but it's, it's not our intent in any way. Uh, if you're bored out of your brain and we're following Holy Spirit, then sucks to be you, because. We're not going to yield to people. We, we're yielded to the Father already. So we don't even have a choice to do that. And that's my thing is like that, that, that's the sort of stuff built into the culture here that as we grow, it's going to stay the same. We're not going to start conforming to people. If people don't like stuff, I mean, if you don't like stuff because it's wrong, then speak up. But, you know, it's like if we're following Holy Spirit and He's taking us somewhere and people don't want to go, it's like, see you later. Catch you next time we don't, uh, we, Yeah, what's the point in just doing stuff that people like to gather a whole room full of people that don't know the Father, that aren't going where He's going? Jesus didn't hang on a cross so that people could be entertained each Sunday. Is that what He was thinking about as He's hanging there, as He's taking the cup that He begged the Father to take from Him, as He's enduring the pain of the cross, the shame of the cross? The sin of the world on his shoulders. And he looked down and go, oh, I just can't wait until like, I can just picture it. Light shows, drama performances, like, oh, it's going to be so fantastic. The modern church, the modern Western church. Oh, yes, Father, it'll be, you know, not my will be done, but your will be done, Lord. Is that what he was thinking? I'm trying to be judgmental and I understand the heart of people who want to reach a generation. I, I get that. But I, w- I just want to see, because I have a little sneaking suspicion that if we represent the heart of the Father, if we do exactly what He's doing, His heart to save the nations and disciple the nations is far greater than ours. And we just say, Holy Spirit, we're just going to do whatever you want us to do. And that He's going to do something that He can't do through a people that are ignoring where He wants to take them. Because we think we've figured out how to win a generation. Which is ultimately to be like the generation. So they'll feel some sense of affinity, but they'll never meet the Trinity. <laughs> I would have dropped the mic, but I know how much, th- how much they're worth. <laughs> so that's it. The tech guy me is like, oh, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> So the apostolic contains within it a governing nature and function, shifting and influencing culture. Then in that governing realm, and again, this is why when it comes to intercession, when it comes to dealing with territorial spirits, all this whacked out crazy stuff that can go on sometimes. Like that's our role. We're going to push through and other people are going to be blessed. Generations will be blessed that we won't even see. Things will shift in a region because we're like, we're moving So again, this whole um, Leviathan spirit, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can ask me later on, but this is something we've been coming up against. It's a threshold spirit that when you're going to move into the next season of God, this spirit rises up, the spirit of pride to try and tempt you into coming into agreement so that you don't step into what God has for you. Because particularly pride is what comes before the fall, the scriptures say. So it rises up and it stirs up anything in you. And if you don't go low, then you'll come into agreement and you'll get destroyed and you won't cross into the next season that God has for you, okay? That's the essential kind of element of what it is. So, we identify and we recognize we have authority in this region to, uh, to deal with this territorial spirit. Now, again, different spirits, territorial spirits you deal with in different ways. This one is we go low. So, we go, we walk in humility and we choose that and we repent publicly. We took, Amy walked us through the other week, you know, corporate thing, if you didn't watch that, sermon, please watch it, go through the prayer, deal with it, otherwise you may get taken out by this threshold spirit, just a little warning for you, it's like serious warning, um, like seriously. Uh, but that's, that's kind of what we do, because we understand we have a role, we have a governing role in this region. So we're going to come up against, and we're going to, and you take the backlash of that, but thankfully when we're aware, and when we're connected, then we're going to get taken out, because there's somebody next to us saying, hey, let's, we're going to journey with you through that sort of stuff. So the apostolic family governs in the way that, uh, again, this word taken from Roman culture that Jesus took was the apostle ship, was the ship that the Roman, after they'd conquered a region, then they would send forth this, this first kind of grouping of people, and their role was to, um, to bring the culture of Rome into this new conquered territory. That was the word, that's what it meant. So the, that, uh, the apostles would go in first, and they would enculturate the region with the culture of Rome. So again, as the Roman Empire grew, it's not that they you know, took over a place and then became like them, but it's actually that you'd go to that place, oh, it looks like Rome. You go to another place that's conquered by them, this looks just like Rome. And everywhere they went, they understood. But that's our role as as an apostolic people, is to bring the culture of heaven into every sphere of influence. Every metron that we have is to bring the kingdom of heaven into that place. But again, if we don't understand that apostolic authority, that governing authority, then what happens is we come into a place and we shrink under. Or we come into agreement. Or we feel like, oh, I'm just going to avoid, I'm just going to step out because that's worldly. Yeah, and you're heavenly. Who's going to win? He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. So you come and you encounter a worldly environment. You need to remind yourself, I'm heavenly. And guess what trumps? Heavenly always trumps over worldly if you walk in that authority. But to understand as an apostolic family, you have authority to influence the culture around you. We are the culture setters. We are the ones to govern the spiritual and then ultimately to flow into the natural realm. Most of what happens in culture is influenced by spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Paul talks about that in Ephesians. The battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. So we understand, as we, as an intercessory people, as we come up against these things, as we go through seasons of fasting, as we go through seasons of warfare, we're dealing with these principalities and powers, and as they're dealt with, then whole communities and cultures get freed from the influence of those principalities and powers. So you go into a place, oh, this is really hard ground for the gospel. Yes. Yeah, so then you deal with a territorial spirit that's causing that hard ground. All of a sudden, the ground becomes soft. So an apostolic family... Governs and an apostolic family grows. Now an apostolic family doesn't grow by numbers, it grows by nature. So nature is the goal, not numbers. Like for us as a church, if we had 500 people in our community or gathering together every Sunday and we didn't have the nature of Jesus, like I'm, I'm out. I'll trade it in. Give me 50 people that look like Jesus versus 50. 5,000, 50,000 who don't look like Jesus. There's no comparison, which is why Jesus had 12. And even in his 12, one didn't make it. But he spent three years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week with 12 guys. Because he knew that if I can get the culture of the kingdom into these men, they will transform the world. And that's what he left. Do you understand that the billions of people who would acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord today is the result... Not of one man, Jesus, because he left. He up and went back to heaven. But he sent his spirit into 11 men. And through those 11 men, the world has been transformed and is continuing to do so. So for us, it's like, man, we need to focus in on the nature of Christ being formed in a place. So as it grows, it grows like sideways in, in fullness, in thickness, in stature. That's the Scriptures, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal, is that we'd come into the fullness of Christ. Not in the fullness of seating capacity. You know, God is preparing a bride. We're getting ready for a wedding. I love what Bill Johnson says, you know, that Jesus returning for a bride whose body is in proportion to a head. Now this big head, this little you know weedy body and finally an apostolic family blesses there's probably a whole lot more this is what i thought of uh, right from the beginning of god forming family on the earth his intent was for right from the beginning of god forming family on the earth his intent was for it to be a family that blesses the nations genesis 12 1. Now the Lord God said to Abram, who became Abraham, Go, sent, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So already, apostolic culture. He is going to the place that God has for him. Verse 2, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whom who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So part of God building a family here is that we understand that part of that is to be a blessing. That's my heart. I like I have a reformation heart. I want to bless the body of Christ. And even if I might say things that seem like a diss against what is already established, it's because I care about the bride. And I just I hate I hate hearing stories of some of the stuff that goes on in the church, like crazy ungodly stuff and with leaders and people and it's like this is the bride of Christ it should not happen and that's why we're so particular about dealing with the heart and dealing with character issues, because we don't want just another thing that ends up just blowing up at some stage We want to be a people that blesses. We want what God forms in us to be a blessing. And initially, just to the body of Christ kind of locally in our region or in our nation. And that's the thing where we say, God, use us. Use us to form what you want to form on the earth, Lord. And we'll be different and we'll cop the criticism, but we'll stay steadfast and faithful to following you wherever you want to take us, Lord. This is my heart. Wherever you want to take us, Lord, whatever you want to do with us, Lord, We know you're good, so we know it's going to be good. It's going to be hard, but you'll give us grace to endure so that we can then be formed and produce a fruit that could be a blessing for others to eat from. So we will have apostles and apostolic people that will grow up in this community, but our priority is to raise people that look like Jesus. And part of looking like Jesus is being apostolic, just like he was got this little thing here from a book uh, by a guy called alan hirsch uh, he says when the apostolic really works he says churches with a strong apostolic bias tend to break new ground constantly pushing the bounds of creativity and ministry and forging ahead into new territory in these communities spirituality tends to be experienced as something dynamic adventurous and innovative Does that sound like us However, when the apostolic is dominant to the exclusion of the other types, the organization will be task-driven, demanding, and alienating. So again, even in our apostolic leadership, even for me, in in, in my role as an apostolic leader in this community, I get informed by those around me to shape true apostolic ministry. So again, you, you can't have true apostolic ministry without the other dynamics working and influencing that so for me like i, I love what the other leaders and, and people in this community carry because i'm like that's i need to be informed by that otherwise i won't be fully formed even as an apostle to form apostolic things in people see how that kind of works it's not like well i've got it all i know it all so i'm just going to give you the apostolic and bang here it is and spread it out it's like no no i need to be formed in in the shepherd and as a as a prophetically and teaching and evangelistically i need to be formed in all of those ways so then whatever expression comes that is released then into the body looks like true apostolic ministry but again what he's talking here that if it's if it's overweighted in some ways then we get that thing where it's constantly like pushing and driving people you know and it's for good reasons like, oh we want to see the kingdom grow but if it's through pushing and driving and striving and demanding and alienating and task drivenness it's not going to produce the fruit of the kingdom in nature it'll produce measurable fruit oh we'll have 50 churches none of which necessarily reflect the nature of jesus but they're there so what are some of the enemies of apostolic family i'll just write a few down here Uh, complacency is one you know, as, as a movemental peop- people, we can't step into this thing of complacency, like not caring, not caring either about what happens in my heart and my life as being important, not caring about what I, what I do with my time, what I invest my energy into. And again, not in a striving way, but when you understand you have governing authority, you have apostolic authority. And it might be, your metron might be a couple of kids at home, there might be a you know, teacher at a school with a classroom full of kids. You know, you might be retired. You just got some people that you, you know, spend time with during the week or a social group. But whatever area God gives you a measure of authority, you have apostolic authority to shift and shape and to bring the kingdom, to bring heaven to earth in that realm. Another enemy is comfort. Now again, Holy Spirit is our comforter. But the problem is when we don't seek Holy Spirit for comfort and we we lean into false refuges and we seek comfort in those places, we get stunted in our growth. We get stunted in our ability to move forward. Now again, we can be like, we can enjoy food or we can enjoy stuff. We can enjoy people. Like there's no sin of enjoyment in that. There's no sin of finding fullness in that. But if our comfort is found in those places, it means that we won't be able to let go when he calls us to go. Religiosity is an enemy of apostolic family. Again, we start to bring in kind of rules and regulations and people start to learn the culture and learn, okay, how do I manage myself so I don't get in trouble or so I get all the affirmation that my heart desperately desires. But when we become that, we lose heart, and we focus on rules and, and religiosity, and, and essentially, yeah, well, that's the kind of parameters that we live by, then we then we lose that culture of the kingdom. There's also an enemy of apostolic families, politicizing. So when we start getting into this, even what Jesus warns us of is the political spirit, the spirit of Herod, he talks about. Beware. Of that Of that kind of spirit that looks to try and take control, then even in the natural realm, where we start to try and look for positions of influence and control in areas. I know that God will open up doors of favor for us to influence, even in the natural realm, influence people. That's what He does. But again, it's when it's a trustworthy people who carry us hard in his nature the problem is as soon as you step into that realm without the lord giving you favor in that place then you start to be influenced by that political nature and that political heart and that political spirit and ultimately you get consumed by it which is why jesus warned against it the religious spirit the political spirit stay away from them but he calls it leaven so it creeps in and before you know it you, it's right through the dough. And the last two is individualism and rebellion. You know, that that rallies against any kind of family dynamic, but but especially in building family, when we've got uh, individualism or this thing of rebellion, and we can have a rebellious spirit and still want to, you know, stay part of something, but we're constantly pushing against stuff. We're constantly pushing the boundaries, not in a healthy way, not even in an apostolic way, but in a way to kind of, or keeping people at a distance or, um, you know, prioritizing self over others which is not the way of the kingdom of God All right. so cool so no I'm saying sharing a lot of stuff you might be like yeah I feel that's us and we're good I'm not this is not a correction kind of word it's more giving teaching and understanding but as God grows that we're like okay this is what the Lord's doing this is why we do some of the things that we do or prioritize some of the things that we prioritize but